What's up, everybody? Live from Nashville. So we stopped in, um, I don't really know what they call it down here. Smashville. A lot of people from The Bachelor and Bachelorette live here, though. I don't know what happens if once you're on the show, they give you some sort of like low interest rate mortgage or maybe they, they pick up your first last in security and they immediately put you on a shuttle to Nashville. So not to say that I'm hanging out with a ton of people from The Bachelor and Bachelorette, but that appears to be the deal with this city. So... Uh, headed back to LA tomorrow. I've been on the phone, watched the Super Bowl last night, and my initial concern, Saruti, is that by the time we get done taping this, depending on which way the wind is blowing on this Anthony Davis stuff, uh, hopefully we'll have good information that's still relevant, <laughs> or, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm totally, well, I don't want to say I'm at a loss, but I just, hey, we're ready to do the podcast, and this is what I got as of right now. So we'll go through some of the Anthony Davis stuff, LeBron. I got Damian Woody coming on to talk Super Bowl, specifically Dante Skarnecchia and his role as the offensive line coach because that was so impressive. So I just want to do a few minutes on that. You good? You good with that plan? I love it. I'm first first and foremost, have you seen Cutler Cavalieri yet? At Common James, any of that any of that crew? No, I got my picture taken outside of the Angel Wings. The Wings so, thing. Okay, cool. Yeah, uh, I got a really good one. Instagram I'm, later, I imagine. Well, I don't want to rush it, you know. Yeah, listen, you got to think of a good caption. I get it. Right, right. And I I didn't have my spiritual gangster tank top on, so I'm thinking maybe I have to go back and do it and put that on. Um, all right, so today is the day. And Monday, I've, I've made this comment in the past where I feel like no matter what happens in the Super Bowl, in a weird way, we should pass some law that none of us should be allowed to talk about it for like a week, and then we can kind of settle down and then decide what to do. But the business doesn't work that way. And today everybody's crushing it, saying it's the worst, worst Super Bowl ever. I actually think you have a bad memory if you say that or you're under 35. Because I had a stretch of Super Bowls as a kid that it was almost a lock every year. The Super Bowl was the worst game of the playoffs. It was terrible. So even though there was no scoring, and yeah, if I'm not a Pats or Rams fan or I'm not invested in it emotionally and I'm just at a party, it is a boring game to you. But at least it's still in balance, which I think is... um you know, part of a part of it, even though it's not entirely exciting. That's why I wouldn't put it down as the worst one ever. A couple things here. Going into it in Atlanta, and I'll mention this, you know, I'm going to ask Damian Woody about it, but I couldn't believe how, I don't want to call it overconfident. Maybe they're right. I mean, it was still technically a close game. I think it's pretty clear New England was the better team. Brady makes an awful throw on that interception. It was a great call by Romo to be like, he could tell it was a bad decision because he thought he had man and it ended up being zone. And he was like, oh no. And then it ended up being the pick when it looked like the Pats are going to run it right down their throats. And then you have Goskowski of all people, miss a field goal right after they put up the stat that no field goals have been missed inside of the Mercedes-Benz Dome. So right there you feel like, okay, it's six points at least, maybe ten points that they didn't have, and it's still this close game that felt like it was all New England, that New England's game plan was going to work. And if Aaron Donald and Dominican Sue, and I would say his resurgence was a bit overrated, Watching those games, and I know he had the sacks against the Saints, but if you really look at some of that stuff, I mean, he's not Aaron Donald. I don't think anybody's necessarily saying that, but that was the thing. Okay, interior pressure right up the middle against Brady, and I felt like the Rams had the personnel to be able to hang in this game, but like I've said, the Pats have had space in my head all season long, and I just kind of went like, I guess they're awesome again. And as you can see, the fact that they shut out the Chiefs and Rams in back-to-back first halves, like, I give up. This defense, (laughs) this defense that looked... So terrible at times this season puts on that kind of defensive performance against those two offenses. That's just ridiculous. And, you know, that's part of Belichick evolving as a coach throughout the year better than anybody else. It's also about Dante Scarnecchia and going, okay, here's what we're going to do in the game plan. This is how we're going to block Donald. This is how we're going to block Sue. Sue was outside a lot more. I mean, I'd have to go back and really look at where he's positioned all the time, but it felt like he was definitely wide on a lot more snaps than maybe you're used to seeing with him. 
And if that was the biggest concern, then you know New England all week or the two weeks in preparation are going to say, okay, well, let's neutralize that first, and we'll do that with a combination of how we block them and how we run right at them. And then we'll worry about the rest of the stuff later. And that's clearly what they came out and did. So whatever the biggest concern is about the opponent, usually New England finds a way to limit that. That's just what they do, and it seems simple, but it seems like so many other teams can't do it. And what the Patriots do, and throughout this entire run of watching them and moving to Boston right after the first Super Bowl and being there for the back-to-back ones and, and this whole thing. And I know, you know, some of you guys get really sick about this, but or sick of, you know, so many people from Boston working in the media. But if you can just take your hatred away for the organization, whether it's fatigue, whether it's Belichick, whether it's even Brady, and I even get some of it. I mean, I get being a fan of teams. I mean, I hated the Yankees so much. I hated it. I hated it. I was like, oh, that red stretch, 96 to 2000. I'm like, this is the worst. But it was, it was because of me. It was, it was my emotion of it. And when it all came down to it, I'm like, this team is so sick. You know, Scott Brocious shows up and now he's awesome at third base. Like, are you kidding me? And so I understand that. Like, I'm not so removed from being emotionally tied to this that I don't remember what that's like. But you have to appreciate that this New England team that has reinvented itself so many different times. I mean, you can talk about Brady being, oh, well, it's an advantage because he's been in the same system. The system has changed. They've changed it. All the time, based on personnel, who's in the slot, how good is Gronk, how much depth do we have at receiver, do we have anybody on the outside, to now where it's all inside routes. Um, is our offensive line a mess? Is it solid? Do we have a running back that we like? Are we going to just use running backs out of the backfield? Are we going to go up against the Colts and run Jonas Gray for 200 yards down their throat and then cut him because he's late? You know, I remember when they got Corey Dillon at the beginning of the 2000 and, man, let me double check this. I think it's Corey Dillon in 2003. No, 2004, all right? 2004, I remember we were doing a live remote for my radio show. It's like, man, they got Corey Dillon, and he had an awesome season for them in 2004. They're playing the Colts, opening up the season. and like, this is going to be nuts watching them use Corey Dillon. They come out wide. Brady throws eight straight passes. <laughs> just like, you know, you got to be kidding me. So it's almost like if the Warriors said, okay, this week we're going to take 33s, and we're going to zip it around with ball movement. And then next week we're going to play a team. And like say it were the playoffs and it was the same exact team. So you beat a team in the first round by playing Warriors basketball. Then the second round you decide we're only going to throw it into the post and work off of that and look for mid-range jumpers. And then in the Western Conference Finals, they decide to full-court press. That's who the Patriots are, is they reinvent themselves all the time. And as I said last night in the tweet, I can't imagine what it's like for coaches that know they're not as good as Belichick. And it'd be ridiculous to say nobody's, you know, resume-wise, no one's ever going to be at this guy's level. It's insane, okay? But when you know deep down, like, you either don't trust your roster enough or you're just not as good as he is at identifying what the opponent is and deciding week to week who you need to be as a team. Because so many teams will say, like, oh, we need an identity. What's the Pats' identity? Is it, is it, you could just say, oh, well, it's Brady. Oh, it's this. It's, no, the Pats identity is malleable. The Pats identity, they don't, their identity is that they don't have an identity, that they can be a bunch of different teams. And I would think it's frustrating for other fan bases, obviously because of their success, but you know who you are out there. You run the same stuff all the time. These other teams that are in the playoffs, um, you know, when you look at Philadelphia and you go, I can't believe they're letting Michael Thomas kill him this way. And then, you go, oh, well, you know, that's what they play. That's what they do. You're like, well, do you really think another team, and like, here's Philadelphia who just won a Super Bowl, right? But do you really think Belichick would ever let Michael Thomas just destroy him the whole game long? And does that mean, well, hey, they run, they run zone coverages and with their guys, it's better to do that. Well, 
figure it out at some point. How many Steelers fans out there are listening to this knowing that Michael Tomlin, Mike Tomlin, has had games where you're like, we're getting beat on the exact same thing all the time. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm watching the All-22s and I know the adjustment. I really wonder how many of us truly know, like, this was the safety's responsibility and this is where the linebacker was supposed to do this. I don't think there's that many of us that really know that. I would have to really sit next to somebody to feel confident to tell everyone, hey, this is exactly what the safety's supposed to do. This is where a guard missed a block. Like, there's some stuff I can figure it out from watching it. But we're still watching. It'd be like watching basketball from the, the second best angle. And that's how we watch football because it's better for TV that way. But... I can't tell you how, however this run ends, it just needs to be remembered as, and I'm not even the biggest Belichick guy in the sense that like, I think he's too petty sometimes. I think he's overrated as a drafter. Um, you know, halfway through the season, towards the late end of the season, you're like, where are the playmakers besides Gilmore on this team? You know, Hightower is terrific sometimes and he was great in the Super Bowl. And then all of a sudden it's like morphing into, wait a minute, is their secondary nasty? And then they can do a bunch of different things with their front where it's fine. They dominated those guys. And not in score, but they got to Goff, who's a play-action guy, and once the play-action thing is over, it's not going to work. Gurley's a non-factor again, which goes down as one of the weirdest things, and further evidence, once again, to stop paying running backs this much money. And Booger McFarlane, who I went out and had lunch with, you know, he's a friend, and he's doing that Chiefs-Rams game, and we sit down, we have lunch. I'm like, what's what's film telling you? And he goes, you know what? I know the offensive line has these guys, and everybody's really thrilled with the depth and the consistency and all this stuff. He goes, but they aren't great. And he goes, the same thing with the D-line. Aaron Donald's a stud, but they play to get after the passer. They're not great against the run. And so then what happens? They roll the Cowboys, they come back, and they beat the Saints. And Booger, you know, was kind of getting dumped on on Twitter – they're like, oh, good call. I think, I think Whitworth, the tackle, went at Booger even. And you're like, okay, but is Booger watching 10 weeks of tape coming up with this conclusion? Because guess what? That conclusion ended up being 100% right for the Super Bowl. So I'm not going to do this thing where Goff sucks now because I don't think that's fair. Some smart people have said that Goff is in this position where he can't see the field and that that's what the greatest asset of McVay is, that McVay's trying to see the field for him. It didn't work out. I think they had five three and outs of their first seven possessions. And they still had a chance to get this thing into the end zone. But on the Gilmore pick, it looks like a terrible throw, but he slips. And, you know, I was sitting next to my boy, Matt Bushman, who's like, he slipped, he slipped. Like, look, we rewind it. And you're like, he slipped off of his back foot and then threw this duck into the air. And I'm still not sure that the throw would have even made a difference because Gilmore said, you know, you knew at that point he was going to have to make a different kind of throw. And that's... You know, why Brady, despite not having the numbers that you'd expect from him, is so special because he's going to make a throw at some point later in that game, like the one that he made to Gronk that almost went for a touchdown that led to the Michelle rushing TD. That was a throw where he's going, okay, the game is different now, and this might not be a throw I make in the first quarter, but I'm going to make it now because I need to make something happen. And as I've told you very honestly, as much as I watch this, I am still struggling now with trying to decipher who's a really great quarterback and who's a guy putting up good numbers in this hyper-offensive world that we're living in. And I also think the people dumping on McVay, and I almost thought like, hey, where are the jokes about all these McVay disciples getting fired? And I didn't really see it out there because I thought it'd be so unoriginal, and I'm sure it popped up at some point. But I guess I look at Brady and think there are things physically where I don't think they're the same. And I know everybody thinks I root for the Patriots. I cannot express this enough. If they lose that game, I don't care. The only thing I really care about and root for is I root against the Brady haters. 
That's it. I want the Brady haters to have even less ammunition because they're the most stubborn, ridiculous people. And if you're just admitting, hey, I'm a Jets fan and I hate this, like, I get it, man. I'm with you. I, I totally get where you're coming from because I've been there before and that's why I use that Yankees analogy. But if you're somebody who does this for a living and you just decide, now nah, I'm just going to find another way to dump on Brady, I want Brady to keep winning to prove people wrong that he's somehow this creation or that somehow Montana now is better because he's clean in Super Bowls when Brady's been to nine of them and won six and all the other three losses were one-score games. And I know all the wins were basically one-score games. So that's what I find myself rooting for. I wasn't going, come on, Pats, do it again. Do it for all my buddies. You know, my dad doesn't even care either anymore. Um, but that's what I find. Like, I knew I wanted – I was like, maybe I'll look at what Max Kellerman said just to see because after he lit up San Diego, he went, well, Brady, all the throws were wide open. And I'm like, oh, we're doing this. And you know what I did? I go, I'm not going to look because that's what everybody wants me to do. They want me to look and see what Kellerman said. And I like Max, but his Brady argument's ridiculous, and he's been doing it all year long. And I imagine he didn't give in even after he won a Super Bowl or dumped on them not scoring a ton of points, but I'm sure Kellerman gave him a ton of credit for throwing for 500 yards in a loss against the Eagles. So that's what I'm rooting for whenever I see Brady because I kind of want the absurdity of this to continue because that's what this run is. It's absolutely absurd what this organization has done for 20 years. Yeah, Twitter was the worst last night, by the way. I didn't really get into oh, it that much because I just know I know what's going to happen, and it's just, you know, so I, I want to sit and watch the game. Man. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we, I, you know, everyone's talking about Wingo's rant today, too, about, like, you know, if, if, if you hate it so much, you still watched it, blah, blah, blah. I do think – I don't think it was – it wasn't a great game, and I sort of judge games on how much I'm looking at my phone. I felt like I was looking at my phone a lot during this game, and maybe yeah, that's why I was on Twitter. Like, right. yeah, it was it was a close game, and there was I was always you know waiting. Hey, anything could happen. Either team could win from for probably ninety percent of that entire game. But I don't know. It was it was it was there wasn't anything really exciting. Even the defensive plays weren't that exciting. It was mostly just teams two teams shutting down each other. Yeah, some people, you know, that are going, oh, well, it wasn't so much great defense. Are you serious? Well, I, kind of, I said that to you. I, so I say that from, I thought Brady was, I, I didn't think Brady was good at all. I didn't think um, Brady was good. And I, I think a lot of them, he was missing a lot of throws. And I think that's where all the Brady haters, including Max, would say, hey, he had two touchdowns and three picks in the playoffs. Like he has, he, he isn't what you he is. You realize used to the be. Chiefs picks are tip balls, right? Does it, does it, do any of the people point that out? Uh, no, of course not, because that would hurt their argument. <laughs> um, but I, I did think, I, were the Rams like locked in on defense? I don't know. I thought they were they were good. Uh, Brady just wasn't that good either. I think you know obviously the obviously Belichick and and Flores and the Pats schemed Goff into looking terrible, but he certainly didn't have anywhere near a great a, a, an okay. He game. held the Rams to three points. Oh yeah, I mean, it was it was awful. Me, you know that's the thing where it's like I don't think Brady was good, but I he was good on that drive. When it, you just saw it, you're like okay, he's nodding his head. Is you're like okay, here we go. They're gonna score. They're gonna score here because Brady knows. Okay, now it's a little different. Like this drive's a little different, but. That it was just this awful mistake prone game. It's just so fitting. It's so fitting that we had the fewest points in a season where we felt like defense was no longer necessary. Oh yeah. We were we talking about like whether or not perfect. you could do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the classic storytelling of 2018 and into the Super Bowl where you go, all the things are going to end up happening. We're like, oh, the Pats defense, they're going to end up doing this. And we're going to have the lowest scoring Super Bowl ever when all we see on Sunday and especially some of those primetime games where, like, the old NFL is dead and this is the only way you can win. Like, who cares about stopping anybody? It might be, though, other than just Belichick. 
being smarter than everybody else. <laughs> you know, you know what? And, it, and it may still be true. It may still be. And then we just saw this rarity in the Super Bowl. And I'm not. I don't want to make it sound like I'm just defending the game or, or whatever it was. It was just. It wasn't the worst Super Bowl. I was a little kid. I've saw. I've sat through games where you're like, turn it off. And I never. Obviously, I never felt that way. But clearly, I have a different responsibility when I'm watching the Super Bowl. Let me ask you this question, because um, I saw our boy Danny tweet this out about SEC homers. Was the 9-6 Bama LSU game more exciting than this game? I'm a bad... Uh, I, and I don't remember. I'm, I'm a bad judge because I was, I was there for it. And it was so intense because of what was on the line. And I'm on the sideline. Yeah. That I enjoyed that game. I would tend to agree. Like, I think th- and that, that would be that my point is that that game was like... You just knew that these two defenses were unbelievable, and the athletes. And I'm not saying it's that like the twenty Pats, something pros. Yeah, and I'm not saying the Pats and the Rams didn't have that, but it didn't feel like this defensive juggernaut of a game. It kind of just felt like nothing was happening for a while. Yeah, but you know, I was watching that game with Stanford Steve, and I go, "What do you think?" He goes, "You think Andrew Luck would only get nine points in this game?" <laughs> and I go, "Okay, I, I get it." I go, "Did you not have fun?" And he just goes, you know, there's just sometimes these SEC games, and I was like, "Yeah, okay," but I think all eleven guys on that LSU defense are going to be top three round picks he's like okay fine and i was like all right look i go you didn't have fun he's like i had fun and i go well yeah i go it was just it was a very intense thing but i'm standing in the stadium so if you watched it at home and were bored to death then i'm not gonna argue with you right yeah i i tend to side with it was more exciting because i because we knew how good those two defenses were whereas this in this case i don't feel like they were two elite defenses they just played really well in that one game yeah that's fine right i mean this isn't some sort of deal where we're going to be having this patriots defense honored 20 years from now yeah. at foxborough and they're going to be coming out you know cuz it's not that group personnel wise it just isn't and by the way, as I know, I talk about all the LSU defensive players that are being the pros. Yes, Alabama fans that listen to the podcast, we know you had a lot of pros on that side too. And then I'm sure somebody will say, "Hey, you know who had a lot of pros? New England and LA." I'm like, "Yep, okay, good we one. Got it. We got it." Everyone is addicted to 11 and 12 personnel now in their tweets or 21 personnel. It's it's really funny. Like this 2018 was the season everyone learned about 11 personnel and all the other forms. Yeah, RPOs were, there was always like every season there's like a keyword of something that everybody thinks they know everything about and they just use it and, you know, and, and to, to sound like they're smart. I like to tweet out RPOs when they're blatantly not RPOs. <laughs> yeah. Just go all caps. Yeah. Okay, let's talk some hoops. But before we jump into that, for the first time ever, Simply Safe did a Super Bowl ad, which was kind of cool. So no one should feel unsafe at home, period. Fear has no place in a place like home. That's been Simply Safe's mission from day one. You may have seen their commercial about it during the big game this year. If you didn't, you can find it online. Simply Safe blankets your whole home with protection. Around the clock professional monitoring. Make sure police are on the way when you need them. The security sensors are tiny, blending in with your home so you won't notice them. The Verge calls Simply Safe the best home security, and it's a wire cutter top pick. As more than 3 million Simply Safe customers already know, it feels good to fear less. It's really easy, by the way. I had it in my place in Connecticut. It could have been easier to hook up. So look, do this. Get your deal. Get your house protected today. You'll get free shipping on any system order. And they have all these different combinations of the cameras. That's why Simply Safe is so much easier. Just visit simplysafe.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. That's simplysafe.com slash Ryan to protect your home and family today. Simplysafe.com slash Ryan. 
Damian Woody coming up in a little bit. I don't know how long I'm going to go here. I better check Twitter one more time to make sure Woj doesn't report that Anthony Davis has, in fact, been traded to the Lakers uh, because that's kind of where I'm at here. I would say a couple days ago, last week when we did this, and you know everything that's kind of developed, there was real animosity out of New Orleans from the clutch side or towards the clutch side being like, okay, let me, let me get this straight. Like you guys demand the trade. You tell Woj, we wake up, we start our day with this. You're basically only saying the Lakers. That's great. Dell Demps is in a really tough spot here. There's a lot going on that he has to deal with about his own future. Okay. So that's another factor in this whole thing. And depending on whether or not this Lakers deal, the same one that's being offered now, because we're now in the second deal, we'll get to this. Um, that the original thing was thought, well, why does he even need to do this now? He can just go ahead and do it in June. But maybe he feels like, maybe I just got to do this deal before Thursday, do a good deal, have it on the record. And then if I am you know, trying to figure out my future, whether it's with the Pelicans or in the NBA, I at least have something good on my resume that isn't a total disaster. So I thought it was animosity at first towards Clutch and towards the father. And the father said some ridiculous thing, meaning Anthony Davis' dad, that I think are ridiculous that we'll get into here in a little bit. But... As of the taping of this podcast on a Monday night, the only thing I can tell you is that it just, whatever, whatever the animosity was 48 hours ago, it feels like it's turning a little bit. And I don't know if that's just the pick or excuse me, just the, the, the pieces that are going to be in this latest proposal. So Woj had an original deal that was up who, by the way, they ran that proposal up during the Warriors and Lakers game. And Mark Jackson, like, looks at the deal. Van Gundy talks about the deal. And Van Gundy's like, it's not enough. And Mark Jackson goes, I'd do the deal right now. And you're like, what? And then he called Van Gundy greedy. I mean, you could sit there and say, well, Mark Jackson's also represented by the same guys that are trying to get Anthony Davis that are out, you know, out to LA, which was, I, I found the whole thing kind of weird. Uh, and I just thought it was ridiculous that Mark Jackson was like, hey, let's not even debate it. Like, just do that deal and do it right now. And considering that it's Monday afternoon, Monday night, and that was the one that was run Saturday night, like the deal is already improved. So Mark would have been wrong had he done the deal in that moment. Uh, it's always impossible trying to figure out how to do these deals for guys that are this good, especially somebody that's a top five player. It's incredibly frustrating. Think about it. You're doing a deal where it's not even close, the talent that you're bringing back in. So the most recent offer is Lonzo, Ingram, Kuzma. They would take back Solomon Hill. They'd get two first-round draft picks. Rondo and Beasley would be in this too. And there's still not one piece in there that I feel like you really are building this trade around. Brandon Ingram's had a nice stretch without LeBron. I think we know what Brandon Ingram's going to be. He'll be a guy that puts up some numbers on a bad team, and that's about it. Kuzma is a terrific energy guy that does a million things right. I like him, but he's never going to be even a two on a really good team. And Lonzo, for all the little things that he does right, you're probably trading for him at his lowest value, so maybe that means you're getting something here. And so you just, it was weird how the public consumed it, where the first offer wasn't enough, and then it was a few more names, and we take back Solomon Hill, and now it's like, oh, now you got to do this. Now you got to do this deal. It was also reported on Monday that if it weren't the Lakers, that Clutch and Anthony Davis be willing to send him to Milwaukee, which good luck looking at that roster and figuring out what's, what outside of Giannis would actually work to pull that deal off. The Clippers, unless you love Tobias Harris, and I'm not even sure the Clippers do, uh, 
I don't know if there's enough there. And then the Knicks, now the Knicks have the trump card and all this thing. If they just said, hey, we'll, we'll trade you this pick right now in this draft unprotected. Now let's talk. Then if you're the Pelicans, that's, that one piece, at least right now, is perceived as more valuable. I think there's people that would say, oh, I wouldn't even do that for Anthony Davis. And to me, that's insane. Like the media overrates cap space. Uh, they, they overrate draft picks, even in a pick where Zion Williamson could be terrific. But you know right now Anthony Davis might be the best basketball player in the league. And I know there's even debates. And I think even some people in New Orleans would tell you, yeah, you know, I'm not sure if he's really an alpha. not really sure he's a one. All right, dude. I mean, <laughs> if, we're, if we're sitting there doing this about Anthony Davis, then who do you like, okay? <laughs> who do you like? Do you like Harden then? Is Harden an alpha and a true number one? I mean, he's carried this Rockets team the whole time, but we have playoff... We have a playoff resume and performances that would tell you that he actually isn't a closer. You know, at least right now, that's what's on his resume. And Chris Paul's had the exact same thing, and I've fought that forever because of the numbers. But it's it's so complicated and also kind of disappointing, even though it's great for the league. And, you know, you have some people that are as pro-player movement, and the player should always look out for himself, which I do understand. But I think you always have to remember, like, what if you were a fan of the Pelicans? What if you had Anthony Davis and the best thing you were getting back were Kuzma or Ingram? Well, that's why, you know, you bring up that you, you think something might get done. And I keep looking at like, why not wait until the summer when, all right, we know this. Because okay, Demps doesn't know what's going to happen. But, but you, you even talk about that Knicks pick, like that you'll know more about that Knicks pick in the summer, right? Or at, closer to the draft. Like, you'll know if that's a, the third pick May, or the first pick. The lottery, pick. yeah. Yeah, so, like, it, doesn't it still sort of lend you to waiting? It does, but I, I think the Demps thing is really dicey. I just, I don't, I can't imagine what's going on in his head where he's trying to figure out, like, what, am I going to be around to do, do the you trade you think one way or the other, like, it, he can do something now that'll save his job? No. I don't think so. That's just a guess. Yeah. So, you know, as I sit here, I should probably reframe the whole thing in that it around the league, it was, I don't know, I don't know. He doesn't need to do this deal now. He doesn't need to do this deal now. This deal isn't that great. I don't know why everybody thinks all of a sudden it's like, oh, this deal's, okay, Lakers really, <laughs> Lakers really kicked it up another notch here. So now you need to do this. That's not what I'm focusing on as much as the animosity may have thawed here. And that there are a lot of league sources in the hours that I've been on the phone today that it's just that it's weird how the league works. And it doesn't mean like, look, by the time I'm getting the info, I am freely willing to admit I'm getting it hours, if not days after the in the moment conversation happened, right? I'm only filtering it through to share with you guys because I love talking with you guys about it. And I think and hope you guys trust me on this stuff, but as the wave of momentum happens around these deals that are close and, oh, it's done, oh, it's not done, and all these moving pieces happened, like, I can only, you know, other than, like, the Woges and even those guys aren't getting it until it's, I don't want to say after, because, I mean, Woj is just a, a wizard. Uh, <laughs> I, I think after a deal is done, it'll be like, hey, it's done. Here you go. Boom. Um, the tide of this... There's more people out there, and just from 48 hours ago to now taping this, there are more people that are like, yeah, it's feeling like this thing's going to get done. And who knows? By the time this comes out, it could be done, or it could be some, you know, they could say it's not done, because there's a couple other factors here. 
the Boston thing. Let's get to that. Because Anthony Davis's father goes to Ramona Shelburne, and it's great for Ramona to go ahead and get that story, even though I disagreed with everything the father said. It's like, we don't want to go to Boston because of what they did to Isaiah Thomas. No, no, no. Davis Sr., you don't want to go to Boston because you don't want to go to Boston. And that's fine if you don't want your kid to go to Boston. If you want him to go to L.A., as Rudy made the greatest point on this thing in the very beginning, why, if you're Davis, would you sign with Clutch and then tell Clutch, oh, by the way, I don't want to go help LeBron? That's why the leak of Milwaukee, the Clippers, and the Knicks being involved here, knowing the Knicks aren't going to offer up the pick, based on everything I've heard, that the release is three teams that almost find it impossible to match this Lakers offer. So it's like, okay, so I think... The Davis camp also is sensitive to having this thing feel like it's totally orchestrated and that it's only going to L.A. and it's only going to help LeBron, who supposedly has nothing to do with Clutch, right? Which is, you know, he cannot have anything in ownership and all the stakes, but it's just, it's an impossibility to separate the two. So, I, that, that's, that's what we, like, those are all the things that we know are true. Like, he doesn't want his kid to play there. But to blame it on the Isaiah Thomas trade, when every team would have traded Isaiah Thomas for Kyrie Irving, okay, every single team would have done that. And Isaiah went through not only an injury, but losing his sister. And I don't want to sit here and debate of the ethics of what a team should do in that moment because it just sucks. Like, it's a, it's such a crappy topic to go, oh, man, like, I can't imagine being Isaiah, going through all that, then having the injury, you lose your sister, and then you get traded. But is that specific to Boston? Like, what's the timeline in the Lamar Odom trade? Lamar has this horrible family tragedy, and it was a few years later, but did the Lakers not support Lamar Odom? You know, is, is the, I'm sure the counter to that would be like, hey, dude, one was like immediate, and then that one was years removed. Like, what's, what's my point? There's all sorts of stuff. Are the Clippers loyal to Blake Griffin? No, the Clippers are like, hey, we gave him the max because we wanted to protect the asset. We know this isn't, okay, guess what? It's not working out again. So before Blake gets hurt again, let's go ahead and move this for some pieces and just hit restart on the whole deal, especially since Paul left too. So let's go ahead and do that. So there are degrees of things that happen to these players that are worse than the others. But I'll keep getting back to the same point in that the requirement of the general manager president's job is to make the team the best you can make them. And when the Isaiah Kyrie trade happened, I couldn't believe Cleveland thought it was enough because you guys know me. I'm the Isaiah Thomas thing. It's an incredible story. He smashed through every ceiling anyone's ever had about him as a player at basically every single level, and that's why he is the way he is. He's the smaller guy in a big man's world who's going to be a fighter and he's going to stick up for himself, and I respect that. But he was also somebody in an incredibly ball-dominant position that put up massive numbers that didn't really tell you who he was on a better team. And when you're trading Kyrie with two years left on the deal, I was like, I can't believe Boston got him for that. I can't believe they got him for that. Like, not another second, or not another a second first-round pick. And I don't think, like, people are saying now, oh, everyone loved that trade for Cleveland. I don't know. I, don't know. I know I didn't. And I argued with a couple people about it, but I don't think it was this overwhelming slam dunk. Maybe it's because people thought Kyrie was going to bounce. We can get to that a little bit later now, too, as Kyrie continues to endear um, himself to every Boston fan with his 180. So if you don't want your kid to be in Boston, that's totally fine. But to point that out, like that was – because I know more than I can say. I'm sorry. There's more that I know about the dad and him wanting his kid out of New Orleans for a long time that had nothing to do with Isaiah Thomas. That's it. You can believe me or you cannot believe me. 
but I wouldn't bring it up if I didn't know it were true. So that's kind of where we're at. I, I think one one or two other quick things, the Przingis deal, the Przingis thing, Przingis was never going to help the Knicks in facilitating a deal for him. He was offered to New Orleans. New Orleans is like, yeah, great. What are we going to get him for the qualifying offer? Then he's out of here. Like, we can't do that. Um, so there was that deal. And now because of clearing up all this cap space, I still feel like you need to do better than what the Knicks got for Przingis. Some teams disagree with me. Hey, he's hurt all the time. He's a diva. I don't know. I still think you need to do better than that than they did for Przingis. There's also teams around the league that are like, we didn't even know he's available. I'm like, well, that's not very good. It reminds me of the Pau Gasol trade when he was traded from Memphis to L.A. where a lot of people felt like Jerry West was kind of getting hooked up there. And there were other teams that were really mad that I had talked to. They're like, we didn't even know this guy was available. Like, are you kidding me? And now Marcus Gasol was Powell's fat brother. And then he ends up being a terrific player and it worked out, but that's not what he was. People around the league didn't really think that. And then after the fact, they're like, Oh, we got killed for this. But we always knew Marcus Gasol was terrific. It's like, really? Cause you were the only people that thought he was going to be terrific. It felt like a throne at that point. However, um, the Kyrie thing is, is really weird because there has been a lot of confidence. I think out of Boston about the Kyrie thing, getting done. Don't worry about it. It's not going to be a big deal. I personally, and I'm, I'm biased. I'll admit, like he annoys me so much. And with the knee injuries, I would almost wonder if I'd want to max him, but then I'd probably have to anyway. You can't trade him because that dude's up this summer. So good luck trying to put any kind of package together that's going to work there. Uh, and again, nothing's impossible, but what kind of value you're really going to get back unless you get an insurance from the team or excuse me, from Kyrie's people to the new team that, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and sign here, but Kyrie's not going to do that. And Boston's starting to win and put this thing together. Now, uh, they're flirting here with the two seed. So does Kyrie end up in New York? Do they know that? I don't think they know that. I don't think any team could feel that good. Even with that Porzingis deal that we know we're getting Durant, we know we're getting Kyrie. Um, everybody started doing that, connecting those dots, but that's, that's July, you know, that's July. So much stuff changes. Think about how you are when you make decisions. And even though these guys are famous and it's way more money than we'll ever see, although can't rule it out. Don't say it's impossible. Um, that's, that's a big bet. I think the Knicks made a bet that they go, we have a chance to be great, but we don't know that right now. So connect all the dots you want. Maybe you'll be right. I just think six months away, that's a really hard thing to lock in. And we'll see what happens in the next couple days because if I were Boston, I would actually float that Tatum would be a possibility to screw up this whole thing for LA because Tatum was supposedly always a no, always a no. I would float him and say, well, let's not close the door on Tatum here. Okay. Let's not close the door here because then that may ensure that you're keeping Kyrie and then you go, okay, fine. We love Tatum, terrific, but now we can pay some of the other guys and we have AD and Kyrie and that's pretty good too. And we still have the Horford Hayward pieces or Hayward may have to go out. One of those guys would have to go out for Davis's contract. That's what I would do to mess it all up. But to bring it all the way back around and why this is different is that you have a very tenuous situation with Demps. So Demps may say, oh, cool. Tatum's available in July. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I might not be making that call. What's your uh, what's your thing right now? Like, do you think Kyrie resigns with the Celtics? Like, where would you go right now if somebody said yes or no? I do. I have no idea with that guy. None. I is there always, any way they move? They would be like, we can't even take the chance, and we'd move him. 
What are you going to get for him when he's up this summer? And it's Kyrie. Would the Knicks? I don't know. Just the Knicks want him a year early. I don't know. <laughs> would the Knicks give you the pick? They wouldn't would you, give you the pick. Would yeah. you do the unprotected pick right now if you were the Knicks for Anthony Davis? Yeah, I would in a second. Yeah, I think most people wouldn't be like, "No way, Zion Williamson, rookie contract, rookie scale." Yeah, I, I, mm. I go, nope. I know what Anthony Davis is. The way the Knicks have things have gone in the past for them, where it just hasn't worked out with free agents or doing this, like just to get that guy in the building, and he says he's going to resign, like just do it. I figure it out later. Because then more people are going to want to go there. I'm with you. We're in agreement. But the Kyrie, I've had, and I don't. You know, the weird thing about this is you hope to say something that resonates and gets picked up. But after the Paul George Slam Magazine disaster. I'm <laughs> I'm fearful of how I say the things that I'm going to say, and I'm probably too vague now because of it, which sucks. But I've had one guy that always has consistently said he's not going to resign there. I'm like, dude, he just told everybody at the season ticket thing, like, if you'll have me. And it may have been Kyrie being brilliant and going, I'm just going to be all the way in and get these people to not ask me about it all year long. And it kind of worked. Right up until when he said, I'm going to do what's best for me, ask me July 1st. And you're like, well, wait a minute. Why did you do that? And did he give us honesty? I guess he did. You know, would he have – Would I mean, everybody – if he leaves, <laughs> all the people in Boston – it's the same Celtics fans that I would argue with, that Rondo was top five and better than Chris Paul because he had a ring, and you're like, this is the dumbest thing ever. And then as soon as he's out of there, it's like, yeah, he sucked. The, the Kyrie love fest, that'll be the most instant hatred ever for that dude in Boston if he, if he decides to bounce after saying what he said. And I don't really blame, I don't blame guys for going, hey, I'm sticking around. Like everybody gets mad at all these college football coaches. They're like, what are you supposed to do? Hey, we've got two more games to play. I know there are a lot of rumors, but damn, Virginia Tech be a sick job. I take that in a second. But we're going to try to coach him up these next two, you know, weeks and win a conference championship. So I don't, Blame Kyrie for this one in particular. I just find him day to day with the quotes and the way he, I don't know, just the way he sees the world. I see it differently and, um, it's, I, I can't, I can't figure him out for the life of me. I, there's, there's plenty of people in the league that go, oh yeah, he and KD, Kyrie. And I'd be like, how do you know that? How do you know that it's already that wrapped up? There's no way you already know that. There's no way you know that. So you can, you can hear whatever you want to hear. I just, no one's convinced me that they know what the hell's going on with Kyrie either. So I don't know. If if he does leave and they don't get Anthony Davis and, you know, they, their core kind of is just Tatum and and Brown and that group, like, how, I just think about Danny Ainge's image at that point. Like, because we all thought, like, oh, my God, they're so much smarter than everybody else. They're, they're living in 3019. Everybody else is, you know, whatever. They would take a pretty big hit for that, I would imagine. And I don't know how – I mean, they would obviously – I don't know how good they are, like with Tatum and Brown only. I mean, that would be the Monday morning quarterback about it. Oh, you should have done this, this, and this. Well, what should they have not done the Kyrie deal? Well, they did it, and then he bounced. You know, they can't trade for Anthony Davis. They can't trade for him. You know, they can't trade for him. And I think there's a bigger, like, more fun thing on a slower week. We'll do kind of the the CBA talk about. It was something I was touching on there for a second, but. Is it truly great for the league to have every guy be able to say now like a year and a half out on this contract that, hey, I want to be out of here? Like, are we so pro player? Are we so um, progressive now as an NBA community 
that were totally okay with every player flexing his muscle. Like, I mean, that's the thing about it. The father, he's like, oh, there's no loyalty in Boston. Like, dude, your kids have got a year and a half left on his contract that you signed, you know? So I'm not trying to sit here and, and do this thing where it's, I'm anti all of these players moving around. I just think there's a real awesome big picture conversation to go, is there a solution to this that works? But hell, like you could, what if you went back to seven and eight year max deals? Would it even matter? Because guys are doing year to year. They're not afraid. It would take like a Durant type to blow out his ACL and MCL and PCL and maybe miss two seasons and that kind of thing where maybe the shift would go back to be like, can I get five years again? Uh, could you, could you do, if you demand a trade, there's automatically a club option tacked on to your existing deal. <laughs> that would, that would seem a little, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, look, I've, I've spent too many hours thinking about this stuff over the course of the last couple of years. I've been like, is there a solution here? But every solution feels anti-player and people are so anti-owner and so anti-management, so anti-coach now. And I understand it, but I think it's excessive. I, I still wonder, like, is it okay if there's anything that helps the team keep the players together? Is it okay? Like, Anthony Davis is the thing that's supposed to save the Pelicans, and they didn't do a good enough job. And if he wants to, wants out, that's that's fine. Like, I'm not I'm not mad at Anthony Davis. I don't really get mad at any of these guys. Stephen Jackson was the one guy, and I told him, I go, you signed an extension and then asked for a trade like months later. He's like, yep. <laughs> and then when you know <laughs> Stephen Jackson, you go, okay, well, I. I know why you did it. He's like, yeah, hell yeah. He's like, I knew I wasn't going to get that offer anywhere else. He's like, I get the money and then done. I think that's what some of these max deals are now. Hey, get the money on paper and then figure it out. That was always the mellow thing. I'll take the extra year because I'll never make that money in five years from now. And he was absolutely right as he's been on a third of the teams in the league. But I would love to sit with smart people that aren't just all about, oh, players should be able to do whatever they want every single time. Okay? And if you're one of those guys... I don't – it's great for the health of the drama of the league, and it's helped the league that way. But imagine if you're a Pelicans fan right now, and you're like, hey, we hit the draft, we hit it at the right time, the generational type guy, and the team should have done a better job around him, and they didn't. So if Anthony Davis wants out, again, I can't say it enough. Good for him. Fine. That's fine. But big picture for the league, for these guys, is there any solution to this? that is appealing to both sides or at every solution just feel like management infringing upon a player's rights. And I mean, the player's rights against what? Like, Oh, poor you, you get an extra guaranteed 30 million. Poor guy. You know, like we have your rights for six or seven years. But that's also the owner's fault too, because every time they redid the CBA, they shaved off the years and they shaved off the raises because they thought oh, seven years. If you, if you make them, that was always the thing. Like back in the early two thousands, if you make a mistake on a seven year max, you're screwed. Like, okay. It's like the Kemba thing. Like, I was going through Kemba's numbers today. If you were the Hornets, would you give him five years and $220 million if he makes all NBA? <sighs> oh, man. No, I wouldn't, but I get why they would be pressured into doing it. $44 million a year for Kemba. I mean, even the John Wall one looks terrible now, and he's a better player, I think, at least at his peak. Yeah, it's real easy to forget how good John Wall was two years ago. He was awesome. And you know why the team would do the deal. You go, okay. I wouldn't do Kemba. I wouldn't. I'd be like, nope, I'm not doing it. Like, we love you, but we stink. And you at $44 million, actually be more than $44 million the way that's the average, at 33 years old, 
just, I just wouldn't do it. Okay, let's talk Super Bowl with Damian Woody. Coming up. Okay, man, this is uh, this is something I've actually wanted to do, talk with you for a while. You're one of my favorite guests going back to the radio shows and everything. So, you know, I actually don't think last night's game was the worst game ever. I know it wasn't what people who just have a Super Bowl party want to see. But, like, what's the biggest thing that stood out from you, the way you'll remember this game? You know, I've always been fascinated with the chess matches, you know, um, the game within the game. And there were, like, so many... Uh, so many different moves, you know, by both sides, whether it was Wade Phillips and his defense and, and obviously, uh, you know, Bill Belichick and Brian Flores with the, with the Patriots defense. But I thought that the, the matches were fascinating. I, just getting to a little bit more specifics, I thought the Patriots front was just phenomenal last night. You know, Dante Hightower and, you know, those boys, the way they were executing against a, a really good Rams offensive line. This is a Rams offensive line. Those those five guys have started all 16 games plus this year. So you would think a, a line that, that's been together that long would be uh, in sync, but the Patriots just systematically just took them apart. It's almost like they found a weak link, weak link in that offensive line. I believe it was the right guard. I can't remember his name, but they were just coming after, after, after that line and, and after that person relentlessly um, with different stunts again, again, and again. And this was a team that, in the you know, at the end of the regular season, they only had 30 sacks, which was second fewest in the league. They had four sacks against Jerry Goff, and I don't know how many pressures they had on top on top of that. So that that to me, just that's the 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 essence of the Patriots and how they're able to coach and find little details that they're able to exploit about their opponent. Yeah, there's there's a couple things there. One is um, the O-line, you know, we saw what they did against Dallas, and they'd said afterwards, like, they knew exactly what Dallas was going to do, but you still have to block guys. You know, you can't just be like, okay, they're tipping what they're going to do, so, you know, we're going to be able to take care of these guys. And then, you know, that Saints game was a tough game. It's a tough place to go down two scores and, and come back and do it. So it's not like – you look at the Rams and go, oh, man, what a joke. Like, this is a really good football team. And I just can't believe as, you know, the Patriots sit there and do this thing. And you know it as well as anybody. You guys love when you're up in New England pretending the world absolutely hates you. But after almost 20 years of this stuff, the standard is so much higher for New England. So when you lose to Jacksonville, Detroit, um, Tennessee, and you get rolled, and you go, who are the playmakers on defense besides Gilmore? Maybe the secondary is okay, but that front seven, like with Hightower's healthy, okay, fine. Like, is the D line really have a standout? I don't, I can't think of any other team that would find a way to evolve into a unit that shuts out the Rams and Chiefs in back to back first halves. Like, I'm still in awe of of what they were able to accomplish. Why is it that Belichick is able to do this where he he learns his team probably as well as anyone I've ever seen in any sport? Well, first of all, let, let me say, I think this was the best coaching job um, uh, of, you know, by Belichick since he's been with the Patriots. I, it's just, I, I used to say that it was the 2001 Patriots when we went against the, the Rams the first time in the Super Bowl. You know, that team... Uh, that greatest show on turf team, I don't know if people remember how good they were, but they were just ridiculously good. Uh, they had the second biggest point differential behind only the 2007 Patriots. That's really good. But this year, it just seemed like 
think of, think about all the things that's happened this year with the Patriots. You had Gronk kind of, you know, he's not Gronk wasn't really himself this year. Yeah, Julian Edelman coming off a four game suspension right off the bat this year. They went through. They lost five games on the road against teams that didn't make the playoffs. Think about that. I mean, when was the last time that we've seen that from the Patriots? And then all of a sudden at the end of the year, they finish the season on a two game winning streak. And then they just go into the, they just go into the playoffs and, and they look like a totally different team. And I think the reason why that's the case is Bill, I think more so than any other coach, knows how to get guys to buy into their roles. I've, I've never I've never seen I've never been a part of that. I've never seen that with any other organization where you know athletes who are consumed by their numbers and their brand and so on and so forth. Bill just has a unique way of getting guys to just buy into do one thing. Don't try to be Superman and do and and try to do a bunch of things. Do what I ask you to do. If we can get 53 guys to basically do what I ask, ask you to do, we'll win. And do, do you that's have, what makes him so unique. Do you have like an anecdote or something that reminds you of, you know, when you explain Belichick to your friends or, or other guys you've played with of like why it's just different? Is there something that you always remember a story about those times when you were there for five years? Yeah, man, it was, um, it was in two, the two, like 2003, I believe. I can't. I, I want to say we were we were playing. I think we were playing the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I remember the week of we had this we had this game plan. We always had like a lot of different ways we wanted to hit the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I just remember like that Friday we just ended up scrapping every we scrapped pretty much the whole game plan. Was that the start we of the went, 0, 002 season? You know, it was the start of the O two season. Okay. I think we opened up with Pittsburgh. You did, yeah. And and I remember like that Saturday, we just came out and we're like, okay, guys, this is this is what we're going to do. We're literally going to spread these guys out, and we're going to just pick them apart. And we went into that opening game, and that's exactly what we did. We just spread Pittsburgh out, and it was just like death by a thousand cuts. And I and when I tell people that, I you know I tell them, do you guys understand how hard that is? Where you go through a whole week of preparation and then you say, you know what, we're scrapping it all. This is what we're going to do. We're going to reverse course, do this, and we're going to. This is going to be the game plan, basically like a day before the game. How, how is that even possible, makes- though? I don't. I mean, like I look at all these other coaches, and it's something I'd mentioned before. I I just. I don't know. I mean, I know like Pioli used to have a sign up that said, "If you want a smart team, draft smart players." And you're like, "Oh, that actually makes sense." Like, you can't keep making exceptions for all these guys. Were you guys just that much smarter? Do they always make sure they have a roster of guys that just can implement a game plan forty eight hours before you guys kick it off? Because that just seems so foreign to all these other teams. Yeah, it's just. I mean, we did. We had a bunch of smart dudes in our lock in our locker room. I mean, guys who had high football IQs that could. Yeah, Bill was big on, you know what, I'd rather have a guy that runs a 4-6 but just really, really bright than a guy who runs a 4-3-4-4 who just can't pick up the material because that guy who can run a 4-6, 
his actual playing speed is like a four four. So, like, imagine a whole team full of those type of guys, guys who can just absorb information, process information, and then go out there and play fast. That's what that's what it is with the Patriots organization, man. Is you got to be able to adapt, and you look at it, and you look at the Patriots from week to week. Every week, it's almost it's something different. Think about this: they had like thirty snaps with a fullback on Sunday. When was the last time you heard of a fullback? having a prominent role in the game George in today's Tech. NFL. Yeah, oh, today's NFL. Yeah, right. No, I, mean, I was kidding. Yeah, I mean, think, just, think, right. think about that. In, 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 in a league where everything is wide open, spread, with throwing the ball, New England's like, you know what? We're, we're lining up with, you know, two tight ends, fullback, tailback, and we're just going to bludgeon you to death. I mean, it's just, it just seems like they're just two steps ahead of everyone. Okay, so on the fullback, right? So when Devlin's in and, like, what you're taught as a defensive player is – if you follow the fullback, you're gonna you're gonna follow the play. You know what I mean? Like ninety percent of the time, right. if you follow the fullback where he's going, that's where the play is supposed to end up anyway. Right. I imagine, and I think I know the answer to this, but it just are they planting that seed to then have Devlin set up and where Gronk looks like he's gonna stand a block. So the first Gronk catch on the right side, the kind of pop up throw, like Devlin lined up, he goes to hit a hole, Gronk sort of sets himself to block, and then he gets around the linebacker, and it's a great throw by Brady, and it kind of got things going. It wasn't the big one to the left side. But that's something that you guys would do knowing, hey, we get a chance here to use Devlin as a decoy after we've lined him up a million times and followed him in the hole. So, Ryan, think about how hard that is for on a defense. You're seeing the same thing. You're seeing Devlin, Devlin, you know, the, the you know similar type formation, and then all of a sudden they just throw a different wrinkle at you. Like it's almost indefensible. Like I wouldn't even if I'm playing on defense, I would literally be asking myself, "What more can I do?" Because they've been showing me, you know, with Gronk, Gronk, you know, Gronk lined up strong side, fullback coming downhill. It's a run. Then all of a sudden, Gronk slips out. Tom hits him. Big play in the ball game. So it's those little wrinkles within a game that the Patriots do. That it just seems like other teams don't do, and that's what—that's why the Patriots are so good, man. Is they know how to adapt and they know how to adjust during the game. We got more of Damian Woody, including what he sees physically from Tom Brady right now. But first, I want to let you know, applying for a loan is a lot like applying for a job that you don't get to interview for. Instead, loan companies make their decisions based off your credit score and history without getting to know the whole you. Now, thanks to Upstart.com, it is never going to be that way again. Upstart is revolutionizing the way you borrow money by rewarding you for your job experience and education in the form of a smarter interest rate. See, basically, if you were starting out and you're right out of school and you haven't built a credit history, this is the kind of stuff where it comes in. Because I remember going through it and be like, wait a minute, I was supposed to have a credit card this whole time? Like that, I couldn't pay for it though. I'd be like, well, you have no credit history, so now you're out. So unlike traditional credit underwriting, which could be biased against people with a short credit history, Upstart goes beyond the traditional FICO score when assessing your credit worthiness. Upstart believes you're more than just your credit score. They make it fast, simple, and easy to check your rate in less than two minutes without affecting your credit score. That's also huge because you're like, wait a minute, I applied for these different things and now I have seven inquiries and now my score went down again. That 
sucks. Sorry, that's not even in the ad, but Upstart's going to agree with me on that one. The best part, once your loan is approved, the funds will be transferred to the very next business day, right to you the next day. Over 100,000 people have used Upstart to pay off credit cards, student loans, fund their wedding, or to make a large purchase. Free yourself from the burden of high-interest credit card debt by consolidating everything into one monthly payment with Upstart. Here's how you get started. Hurry to upstart.com slash Rusillo, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O, to find out how low your Upstart rate is. Checking your rate only takes two minutes and won't affect your credit. That's upstart.com slash Rusillo. The other part of this, you know, as I was trying to figure out, like, okay, who do I want to pick here? And, you know, the Pats have been so in my head since the Chargers game because I just go, you know, I'm just not sure this Pats team is, is as good as we expect them to be. Um, but then at home... And then you go, okay, so, or they're going to put up 35 points against the Chargers. And then after that, I was like, I, I give up. Like, I give up with him. And I thought the Rams had the personnel to play with them. Although being in Atlanta all week, of all the Super Bowls that I've gone to, and I've been in town for almost every New England one, I, I don't know, maybe it's 12 or 13 that I've done work for, I couldn't believe how confident Patriots people were. So, you know, some guys that used to play for the team that I ran into, guys that cover the team still, just anybody kind of up in Boston still around him. I'm like, hey, what do you think? What do you think? And they're like, they're going to kill him. They're going to roll him. And I'm like, my God, like this is an overconfident level. Like I've never really seen this before. And that's not necessarily how the game played out, even though I think New England was clearly the better team and some unlucky stuff that happened on drives in the first first parts of the game. But you know, Donald and Sue, Sue's resurgence, which maybe was a little overrated, but Donald we know was clearly the best player. You just know with Belichick, especially Skarnecchia, who I absolutely love, like if everybody's talking about Donald and Sue, then you almost felt like they would be neutralized because that would be the important thing. So New England would start there and then go, okay, then we'll figure out the rest of this later. What were they doing to those guys with whether or not blocking them, running right at them? Like what were they doing or what would they have told you as an offensive line because you coach, you know, these guys coached you? that would get you ready for that kind of physical kind of talent tandem that's been so dominant against other teams? Well, you know, when you're going against uh, Aaron Donald and Dominican Sue, you know, it's different than when you're going against maybe a Khalil Mack. And what I mean by that is when you have a, a premier edge rusher, there are a lot of things that you can do to discourage that guy, whether it's chips or line the tight end wider, you know, do all you can do a lot of different things. These interior guys, there's only so much that you can do. And I think what it what it really came down to was a couple things. One, a guy like Aaron Donald, you run right at him. The Patriots did that. They ran right at Aaron right. Donald. Now, granted, um the 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 yards were tough sledding, um, but that's how you wear down premier pass rusher like Aaron Donald. And then two Really, it's about challenging your manhood because you can't do a lot of things schematically to try to, you know, help guys or try to take Aaron Donald away. There's a little, there was a lot of times, whether it was uh, Joe Dooney or Sha- uh, Shaq Mason, those guys were one-on-one with those guys. And guess what? They were, they were winning the battle. So, you know, I'm pretty sure that Dante, you know, personally challenged those guys like, look, you guys gonna have to win. You guys got to win your one on one battles when, when you you know when when it's presented. And those guys stepped to the stepped up to the challenge. Why is Dante so great? Because he is. And when they didn't have him there, it was it was so noticeable. And it was like you got to come back. <laughs> this guy doesn't let anything go. He doesn't let any detail go. I remember when I was there. Dude, he used to dog cuss me so much. And, I mean, a lot of it had to do with he knew how talented I was and wanted to get the best out of me. But 
he is like, <laughs> he's so he little is, too. So you just took it like yeah, and like yeah, he, Dante. I just call him like the the like the, the little Italian. He's like this short dude, but man, he could just man, he would get so angry if you didn't do things precisely the way that he wanted you to do them. And to me, that like that's the biggest thing. First of all, like him being a designer of the run game is to me it's better than anyone out there. The way he's able to do that is just crazy. But his teaching of fundamentals uh, it is un is unreal. Like when I left New England, literally I was I would always lean back. Okay, what would Dante say to me right now? And this was during my time in Detroit and ultimately my time with the Jets. I would always fall back on, what would Dante say to me right now? That's how much of a stickler this guy is on the small details. I know what I love, too, is that I've met him a couple times. He couldn't be nicer, uh, which doesn't mean he wasn't hard on you guys just because I ran into him at a couple events. But I imagine... I imagine you would have a hard time if somebody were yelling at you that you didn't respect. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, you know that. You know that. Whereas he can yell at all these 300-pound dudes because it's just, okay, but it, you know, I may not like the way he's talking to me, but I know he actually knows what he's talking about. I, I imagine that's part of why it works too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, you'd be on the sideline and he's just, man, he's just ripping into you and you just know, like, Okay, man, listen. Yeah, do I like it? No, but this dude knows what he's talking about. And he's, he's, that's just his way of expressing himself. But ultimately, he's making me better every single day. Every single day, I'm getting better. So, yeah, you, you tolerate it because you know, like, you're getting, you're getting the best coaching in the league. I mean, this, to me, this dude belongs in a, when it's all said and done, he belongs in the Hall of Fame. I know yeah, people are going to sit here. Years. They're going to say, "Oh, Rasul, you're Boston home." I don't, I don't even care if the Pats win anymore. I just don't. Um, I, I have my own thing that I talk about with Brady at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, I would rather Brady and, and a guy like Gronk, who I like, and when I've had different dudes that I've met, I would never consider anyone a friend, you know, because I, I know how relationships work. But guys that I like, and I'd be like, "Yeah, hey, I'd rather this guy win than a bunch of guys that I don't know." Um, but I agree with you. I don't know if people truly understand how special Skarnacki is. And if, if Belichick is basically begging you to come back. <laughs> then, that's when you know. That's, that's, that's when, when you, you know. know. Like, there was such a noticeable drop-off when he left. Isn't it crazy? It was I like, mean, it, it was like the organization went crawling back. Like, we do. We, we need you back here. We need you back. So over your five years that were there, so you were still young, so I don't know. If it was the same way, I've always heard stories every now and then. But, but what was it like when a guy rolled into the locker room and was like, "I actually don't like this approach. I'm not down with this. I don't want to be brainwashed by Belichick. Like I'm not, I'm not <laughs> feeling this right now." What, what was it like for you guys that had won that Ram Super Bowl and you're like, "No, we kind of know what we are and we're really, really good." What was it like when somebody new came in and was like, "Yeah, whatever. You guys may win, but I'm not down with this." Well, those guys were quickly. Uh they would quickly find their way off the team. Anyone I mean, you can just, think of? Yeah. No, there's no one I can think of, honestly. But you just had a way. You, you also got to remember, this was, this was before the new CBA. So this one you could actually, like, hit and all those type of things in practice. So 
you have guys that come in and they'd be like, oh, <laughs> like, dude, this is, I didn't sign up for this. Like, it's like, dude, yeah, like, if you want to be a champion, this is what, this is the type of work you got to put in. So there were many guys who would come in and would realize, man, this, this is not for me. I mean, shoot, like Reggie Wayne went there, retired, you know, Chad Ochocinco got, got cut. I mean, there are, think of, Think of how many really good guys that were really productive in the league that went to New England and just couldn't cut it. Yeah, Hainsworth doesn't count. Hainsworth doesn't count. No, I don't count. Like, yeah, I don't count Hainsworth. Right. No, he, he doesn't he's count. A totally, he's a totally different. He's in a totally different boat. But I'm just talking about guys who were really good for a really long time coming to New England. They just couldn't cut it. Couldn't cut it because of that that culture and that work ethic and that demand that that that. Coach Belichick puts on his players. Hey, before I let you go, Brady, um, you know, I think it's almost kind of ironic in a way that, you know, when people look at the, the one loss in the Super Bowls and then you think of what he did last year against Philadelphia and that's an L on him somehow. Um, but look. Well, he threw Brady, for 500 yards? Yeah. That's the Bowl you're talking about? Okay. Super Bowl record. And so, you know, here he is and they don't score a lot of points um, against, you know, I, I still found myself kind of entertained by this game. And, and like I said, it's, it, I know that's not what everybody wanted. But when I see people write like, okay, he's going to turn 42, he hasn't lost a step, I do see a different Brady at times. I don't, I don't think it's the same thing. And maybe, you know, it's no. that drive where he knows and that throw to Gronk on the left side is the throw that he knows at that time in the game situation. Hey, I need a play here. So this is the throw I wouldn't make in the first quarter. I'm going to make it now. I think that's what quarterbacking is, is I still struggle with trying to figure out who's good and who's going to work and who's, you know, relying on a system and a guy like Goff where it's pretty clear that, you know, McVay's helping him a ton, which isn't a total knock on Goff, but it's the truth. What do you see? In, maybe you disagree. Maybe you see nothing different. I, I don't think he's necessarily the same peak guy, but I'm not sure that it matters, and it certainly didn't matter this this year. No, listen, from a physical standpoint, like there's been, you know, th- there's been some drop-off. There's, I kind of look at it as like Greg Maddox. You know, Greg Maddox is, you know, like at the, towards the end of his career, he, like he was able, he would never like blow you away with a fastball. But boy, he could hit you with change ups and sliders and all the different type of pitches to get you out. Like Tom is, I don't think right at this stage in his career, he's not going to blow you away with a fastball like a Pat Mahomes or anything like that. But from the neck up, who's better? Who's better from the neck up? And that's what's really important important at the quarterback position. With the way the game is, the game is now, how they protect quarterbacks. He doesn't have to be, you know, he doesn't have to have elite arm strength or anything like that. All he has to know is decipher pre-snap pro and, po- and post-snap what a hard defense is trying to attack him. And as long as he's the elite guy that he is from the neck up, he's still going to be uber, um, you know, just uber successful in the National Football League. Do you? Hey, if the Pats play the Jets in the AFC title game, who do you root for? Who do I root for? Yeah. I usually I usually stay I usually stay when when the Pats and Jets um when they meet up I usually stay neutral because I got respect for both organizations for different reasons so people I get that question all the time I tell people I stay out of it yeah I, but you I get like both you get way more upset about the Jets 
But I also imagine they give you far more ammunition to be upset about when you're watching on a Sunday than New England ever had. That's that's it because it's – see, when I played there, we were actually, like, really good. And to see, like, where they're at now where it's just you watch them and it's it's just bad football. And it's just like, what are you guys doing? Whereas with the Patriots, I watch the Patriots and it's like, boy, these guys got to figure it out every single week. So – you know, I just want I, I want the Jets to do well because you know I follow them. I you know I like the organization, but man, they they just uh, it seems like they take they take years off my life. <laughs> yeah, that's what it seems like. Well, uh, I really appreciate it, man. I I really do, and uh, hopefully we'll get to check in with each other again here sometime. All right. All right, man. Take it easy.